0: the hobbies that that I've, a couple that I've done over the years, Uh, the earliest hobby I can remember having is getting a BB gun. And it was a cheap BB gun, but it was my favorite thing. I would go out and spend hours shooting stuff. So I found a picture of myself with my BB gun when I was little. (laughs) I had loads of fun with that. My favorite hobby I've ever done uh, was rock climbing. I got into rock climbing when I was in college. I have got a picture of that. That's a real picture. No, it's not a real picture. And then my most artistic hobby I ever got into was a little bit of drawing. And I have a picture of that for you. I did get into drawing, for real. I did never get into painting. I was just looking for an excuse to put my face on Bob Ross. So let's go back to the first picture with the the BB gun. When I was little, like I said, I loved my BB gun. I would shoot for hours. I got so accurate that I could hit the power lines after 150 shots. But eventually, I would hit the power line. And confession, I did hit a bird one time. It fell to the ground. I felt terrible. I never did it again. I kind of feel bad telling you right now. Okay, let's move on. Rock climbing photo. I learned rock climbing in college. I had some friends who showed me the ropes. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. I've been planning that one. Okay, so uh, this, this might be my head on someone else's body, but I look just like that, just as hardcore when I'm rock climbing, I think, maybe. All right, next picture, the, uh, the drawing. I got into that a little bit uh, during college, and you know, after a couple drawings, uh, no, that's not for me. Uh, but here are here some other hobbies that I have uh, enjoyed over the years. Collecting things, playing video games, skateboarding, photography, astronomy, archery, hunting, racquetball, hiking, tree identification, camping, technical tree climbing. That's a real thing. Carpentry, rock carving, motorcycle riding, auto mechanics, home improvement stuff. The list could go on. I'm sure if I sat down and named everything, it would take us a little bit of time. So, quick question, just because I'm curious. Does anybody here have a a list of hobbies long like me? Does anybody else? Maybe. Okay. I thought I was weird. Um, That's okay. Uh, Maybe you relate more with my dad. When I think of my dad, there are three main things I think of, and a lot of people think of these things. Fishing, football, football. And motorcycles. He sticks to the three basic food groups there and doesn't change very much. So there's one thing that I had in common with all of my hobbies. They all had something in common and that was I eventually grew tired of them. Eventually I got bored with them and, you know, I just moved on to the next one and then the next one and then the next one. And each hobby was good. I found joy in each one for a while, and I found identity in each one for a good while. When I was in high school, I was Tyson the skateboarder. That was me. Uh, I also found maybe just a, just a piece of, of purpose. And I don't know if you relate more with me or if you relate more with someone like my dad who has just a few that he focuses on, but I think we all are kind of like that We all are looking for things to help us find joy, find identity, and purpose. Or maybe it's not hobbies at all. Maybe you are looking for joy, identity, and purpose in something else. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's accomplishments. Maybe it is artsy stuff like drawing like Bob Ross. Maybe it is, you know, the happy trees. Man, I forgot the happy tree line. I meant to throw in the happy trees. He always drew the happy trees. Never mind. Um... So everybody is looking for something to find that joy and that identity and purpose with. And so I was curious, what what are other people looking for their purpose for life in? So I grabbed some quotes. So I want to share these quotes with you. The first quote is from Eleanor Roosevelt. And she said, The purpose of life is to live it, to taste experience to the utmost, to reach out eagerly and without fear for newer and richer experience. So she would say the purpose of life is to experience it just as much as possible. All right, next quote. This is from Stephen Hawking. Never give up work. Work gives you meaning and purpose, and life is empty without it. And he did. He accomplished a lot. He was an astrophysicist, and um, he he was a workaholic. Let's go to the next one. From the Dalai Lama. Our purpose in life is to be happy. From the very core of our being, we simply desire contentment. So if I gave you the pen and asked you to come up here, what would your quote say? What would you write up there for for us all to to learn from and, and to gain some wisdom? A little different question, what would your life say? So not necessarily what would you say about your life, but what would your life reflect? So here's one last quote. It's a little different than the first ones. I, the preacher, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under the, under the heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun and behold, it is all vanity and a striving after the wind. Maybe this is you. Maybe you have tried everything, work and the love of others and the accomplishment and creative outlets. And you recognize this is a waste of my time. I am just burnt out. So I don't know if you would relate to hobbies or relate to one of those quotes or relate to this last one, which is from the Bible, by the way. It was written over 3000 years ago. So millions of people have felt this way. But no matter what you relate with, I think we all have that yearning inside that we're born with, that yearning for something greater. We're grasping for experiences or or something to give us to give us life. Fortunately, we are not the people, the first people to deal with this issue. So let's go back to the standard. Of our lives. Let's go back to the Bible and let's go through that passage again. First Timothy six, seventeen through nineteen. Look at it together with me. I close my Bible. There we go. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything. To enjoy. So let's pause there. Some people might be tempted, those people who are pursuing material things, to say, Look, God blessed me with material stuff. They might be tempted to justify their chase after things and uh, the, the enjoyment of material stuff, thinking that, well, the Bible says right here, God gave it to me to enjoy. Well, yeah. God wants to bless you like that, but that's not what this is saying. What this is saying is the rich in this present age who are not all that different from us. They're they're seeking after wealth to find accomplishment, to find pleasure, to find experiences, to find fame, to find their purpose in life. They're chasing the things when they should be chasing the God who blesses with the things. Does that make sense? Why are you chasing the stuff and you're not looking at the God who gives the stuff? Let's keep going. They are to do good. In reference to the rich in this present age. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of what? Of that which is truly life. So, why are they to do good, be rich in good works, to be generous? So that they may take hold of that which is truly life. What this passage is saying, if I had to boil this down to one Tyson statement, then it would be this: it would be to turn your focus towards others with generosity. To turn your focus towards others with generosity. And so there's one thing this passage is not doing what it is not saying. It is not giving rules for rich people. It is not giving rich people rules for, for the wealthy only. These are, this is a universal principle that Paul here is, is simply assigning to, to this small group of people. These people who are chasing wealth to find their purpose. And so I can tell you guys don't believe me. You don't believe me at all. I can see your faces. I'm just kidding. But I'm going to prove it to you anyway. So let's go. Uh, we're going to we're going to glide real quickly through a few scriptures here. Let's look at Luke six thirty-eight up on the screen here. And it says give and it will be given to you. Good measure pressed down shaken together running over will be put into your lap for with the measure you use it. It will be measured back to you. The next scripture, Matthew ten forty two, and it says, "And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by, by no means lose his reward." And the next scripture, Hebrews, th- Hebrew thirteen sixteen, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So, like I said, this is not a passage that is trying to develop a protocol, a set of rules for those who are wealthy. This is Paul applying a universal principle to a group of people. And that universal principle is that we all should pursue generosity. Why? Because the shared life means more. Because when we pursue generosity, we take hold of that which is truly life. The shared life means more. Modern psychology knows this. I have a piece of an article here I want to read you. It is from an article entitled, Why It's Hard to Find Your Life Purpose in Today's World. And it's from Psychology Today, written by a super smart guy with a PhD named Dr. Douglas LeBaire. And it says, there are commonalities among those who find their true purpose for being. One major theme is that they aren't very preoccupied with self-interest or in their ego. They can, that can sound contradictory. How can you find your life purpose if you're not focused on it, if you're not focused on yourself? The fact is, when you are highly focused on yourself, with getting your goals and your needs met whether in your work or your relationships, then your purpose becomes obscured. Your ego covers it like clouds blocking the sun. Self-interest, or ego in this sense, is part of being human, of course. It's something, however, that we need to, with effort and consciousness, move through and to let go of. A second theme of those who discover their purpose is that they use their mental and creative energies to serve something bigger than themselves. That is, they're like the person who simply gives love for its own sake. Doesn't that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound just like God? Without regard for getting something in return, without asking to be loved back, or viewing his actions as a transaction or investment. The shared life means more. Modern psychology knows this. Modern medicine knows this. You can do a little bit of research and dig tons of information up about the health benefits of serving others, of being in community with others. And there's a story that I think really illustrates this well. There was a man who had severe tinnitus. And I don't know if you know what tinnitus is. It's a, uh, it's a permanent ringing in your ears. And sometimes it's a physical thing. And then other times it's, it's all in your brain. And so... There's no cure for it, and there's nothing you can do about it. This man was going to his doctor. He's explaining to the doctor the discomfort he has. The doctor says, on a scale from 1 to 10, what's your discomfort? He says, it's a 9. I can't stand it. I can't sleep. I'm suicidal. They try medicines. They try treatments. They try therapies, and nothing alleviates his discomfort. And his doctor finally says, You've just got to distract yourself. Find people to serve. Go serve other people. So this man is connected with the church. He gets plugged in and, and is serving it every way he can. Every possible place. And just a couple weeks later, he goes back to his doctor and he says, The tinnitus is not gone, but I can bear it. I wake up and I look forward to serving others. I can bear it. I would never wish this on somebody else, but I would never ask for it to be taken away because I've never had a closer relationship with God and I've never had a closer relationship with the people around me. So modern psychology knows this. Modern medicine knows this, that the serving life, the sharing life means more. And God has always known this. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. As you're turning to Genesis chapter 2, let me frame it for you real quick. This is right after God has created everything, He's wrapping things up. So we're going to go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, and we're going to read 18, 19, and 20. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone, I will make him a helper So here we have Adam's first job, his first mission. God has given him something to accomplish. And that is to categorize, to name all the animals. And so I don't know about you, uh, I suspect that this took a long time. And so I kind of think of Adam as starting out super energetic and excited. And he's like, the hippopotamus, the spiny anteater, the platypus. And then like after a year or two, he's like, cat, dog, (laughs) ant, bat. And he's just, oh, this is so hard. There's so many animals. So that's how I picture Adam naming the animals. So right after this, God creates Eve. He takes the rib from Adam. He creates Eve. And he creates a companion for Adam. And Adam, it was because he wasn't supposed to find his purpose in work and accomplishment. And, and single, single people, don't worry. This is not about marriage, though it is about marriage. But that's not the point. The point is Adam was alone. Adam needed a shared life. He needed community. He needed people to share his life with. And God wasn't surprised by this. It, it wasn't like he said all of a sudden. Oh I thought you were a solitary creature. I made a mistake. No not at all. He had planned it from the beginning. That's, that's why before Adam even started his job. Of naming the hippopotamus. He started out. God started out. It is not good that man should be alone. See God defines us. He defines. Our purpose. He defines our roles, our love, our creativity, our relationships. He defines our lives. He defines how our joy works. He defines how our identity works. And he defines our purpose. And it can be all summarized together in sharing. The shared life means more because the shared life is the true life. Let's take it back to first Timothy. That is why when Paul, the author, is writing to these people in Timothy's church, that is why he says to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So that you may take hold of that which is truly life. The shared life means more because the shared life is the true life. It was the original design. It was the plan A. There is no plan B. So what? So what do we do? If this is true, what do you do? What do I do? First, we have to realize God is not asking something crazy from us. He is not asking... That we contradict the laws of nature. He's not asking us to like, hey, do this new thing I just thought of. It's going to be great. He's not asking us. He's asking to do what he's ultimately always designed us. Timeline, got to go this way for you. Timeline, past to future, right to left. It is the ultimate life that is the life he ultimately designed in the beginning for us. So we have a choice. We have two choices. Number one, stay in the continued tension of living for self. Stay in the continued tension of living for self, always chasing contentment and joy for it to always be fleeting, for it to always be going through our fingers like the wind, never truly grasping it. Or two, we can discover the joy God has planned for us since the beginning. We can discover the joy of experiencing The shared life together, the shared life with others, and that the shared life means more. But you might be thinking, I don't have a lot. What do I have to share? You have time. You have other assets, your car, your home, maybe. I don't want to assume everyone has those. Uh, You have your relationships. You have your abilities. You have your, uh, your skills you could share. But most of all, you have your Jesus. You have your relationship with Jesus. So let's think for a minute together. Everyone think with me. I want you to think through all the people you know. And I want you to think of somebody who is going without food or clothes or a home. I would gamble you're probably finding it difficult to think of someone. If you, if you have, this is your opportunity. Go and help that, meet that need. But if you haven't, I think that's probably the case for most of us. There aren't that many people around us who are starving physically, but we are surrounded by people who are starving to death spiritually. And so you have Jesus and you have God that you can go and share. and You can share the gospel with them. We are called to be rich in good works towards others. We are called to pursue generosity. What if we all did that this week? What if this week every single one of you decided after this, I'm going to go and purposefully look for needs I can meet, purposefully share my life with others? Here's some stories of what that might look like. This is real, real stuff. FCC people, generosity right here. We've had people, we've had college students who were going to drop out because they, didn't, they weren't able to afford it. FCCers have helped keep them in college. We've had FCCers give vehicles to other families who were in need, who didn't have one. We've had families give hundreds of dollars of clothing to other families in need. Several times we've had community homes burnt down, and our church, along with others, not taking away from what other people are doing, but have helped provide for those people who have lost everything. We've had people give hours of their time to those who can't be here, who, who are stuck at home because of health. And we have people here who are, who are serving every Sunday to help people find and follow Jesus. Now, what if we all did that? What if every single one of us here went this week and said, I'm going to look for a need, and I'm going to see what I have to help meet that need, to help meet those prayers, those prayer requests. Let me challenge you to dare to experience the true life that God has for us. Dare to explore how this shared life means more. Friends, let me pray for us. God, I thank you for, I thank you for this design that you've had from the beginning you know what is good for us. You have our best in mind. God, we live in a culture that pushes an agenda for us to focus on self and focus on my needs. I pray you'd open our eyes to be able to see the needs of those around us. God, I ask for you to help us see where we can share our resources with the people in this church, with the people in this community, especially what we have in Jesus, what we have in you. Help us to be generous people. Help us to see the needs around us. You have purpose waiting for us. You have joy waiting for us. You have identity waiting for us in you, Lord. We love you, God. We praise you. Amen.